Good morning. I, I like being part of a church where these kind of stories that are both extraordinary, um, kind of ordinary, because it's meant to be. I heard another story last week of somebody, part of our church, who was suffering from, from some serious ill health, hospitalized with the expectation of dementia at an accelerated rate. And remembering where they were was not possible. And they asked people to pray, and people prayed. And they prayed, and they prayed, and they prayed. And one of the persons prayed, asked a question of a drug. There was a new medicine that said, could that be part of the mix? Could that be detrimental? And they, they questioned it. And so the doctor said, okay, well, we'll try something else. So they tried something else, and everything shifted. Now, at first it felt like, oh, it was, a, it was a medicine problem. But actually, they came out better and not needing medicine at all in that area. So I love the idea that the Jesus that we believe in brings life heals backs, removes conditions that are permanent and brings about massive change. That kind of movement, that kind of church, that kind of faith I want to be part of. I spoke to somebody this week on Thursday who's nowhere near the church and faith and the God conversation. And I said to him simply what I do. And when I tell people what I do, sometimes there's this, oh, wait a minute. There's this awkwardness. I'm as awkward as they are sometimes. And I said, I believe in Jesus. And it changes everything. And the person looked at me like, well, that's different. And it brought life, brought light. There's power in the name of Jesus. Last week, Amanda spoke in the power in the name of Jesus. And I've chewed on that all week. And I'm still finding that the proclamation of Jesus, the gospel of Jesus, the story of Jesus, if that shapes our life, if that shapes our church, that changes our story in a way that religion and church attendance in itself just falls so far off the mark. So for the last few weeks, we've been camped around who Jesus is. Last week, a man spoke on Jesus is the name above all names. Next week is the last week, and Luke is speaking on Jesus being the main thing, not just the side dish, but the main thing. This week, I'm speaking on a subject that for some of us, makes us think of different things. For some of us, we go, oh, wait a minute. I don't know. Let me tell you two quick introductory stories, Steve. You can guess where we're going. First one, uh, last week I was shopping on Amazon. I found something that I liked. It was a good price. I put it in my basket. I didn't have time to check out, so I hit save for later. Came back the next day, and the price had changed. It doubled. I wasn't going to pay double. The opportunity was there, and I kind of missed it. I guess we've all had a similar experience. Maybe we've been to a store. We've seen something that we like. We thought, I won't go for it now. I'll come back. And you come back, and it's gone. Today, I want to speak about finding something and missing something. In the Jesus Is series, the title, the topic is Jesus Is Coming Again. And some people find this message and it's exciting and some people miss it. 
And I want to look at that. And I'm aware that this is a subject, this is an idea that's kind of loaded. And for some of us that have been in church a while, we've got baggage and stories and experience and things that we like and other things that we think, oh, I don't ever want to go near that again. This is a subject that is divided. Churches and people have argued and people have really come from different ideas. And largely there's two extremes. One extreme is we've camped here so much that it has become such a subject of interest that we've talked about it and debated about it, desperately trying to answer the question that Jesus said you won't be able to answer. We've argued with the idea that we can't work out the time, and we've given ourselves to work out a time and argued with other people on something that Jesus clearly said you will not be able to accurately answer. That's one extreme. The other extreme is we've ignored it completely. Because we can't answer it, we won't go near it. And the problem with that, it's a little bit like the assumption when you're young that you're invincible and that you won't die or that death is something that happens to old people. It won't happen to you. And then it does. I want to look at this in a balanced way, asking God, what are you showing us? And what do we need to do about that? Let me give you some other extremes. Uh, I remember being scared in this topic. I remember in my teenage years being scared. I could miss it. What would I do if I miss it? And what's interesting is what Jesus spoke in a profoundly clear way that has consequences for those who decide and for those who reject him. Fear was not his starting approach to how he communicated good news because it was good news. I've heard people talk about the imminence of Jesus's return to such a level that they've said we won't bother to invest in retirement planning or pensions because Jesus is going to come next week and I've heard that extreme I know people that have lived like that I've heard the other extreme where people have said it's never going to happen and then Jesus said one day it will and some people are going to miss it and it's a million times worse than that shopping experience where I wanted something I wish I'd gone for it and now I can't it's a million times worse than that let's not miss it. So too much interest or not enough interest. Let's be balanced. We're going to look through some texts. We're going to look through the scriptures. We're going to ask them to speak to us. So I'm going to pray. Jesus, we want to base our belief around following you. Lord, if there's any pre-conclusions or baggage or hurt or, or just doubt that maybe it's not even going to happen. Lord, we ask that you speak to us clearly through the reading of your word and that as you speak to us, it wouldn't be so that we know more, but so that we would be changed. Thank you, Jesus, that you invite us to follow you. So Lord, we choose to follow you in all ways. Amen. Okay, first Bible passage. And if you've got your Bibles, it's in John 14. If you haven't, it's going to appear on the screen. John 14, verse 1 to 3, says this. These are some short passages. Do not let your hearts be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. My father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I am going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. 
I deliberately chose this passage as the first passage that talks about the return of Jesus, the second coming of Jesus. Because it begins with this beautiful line, do not be afraid. Jesus does not say, be afraid, and this is what you need to do to relinquish some of your fear. Jesus is saying, do not be afraid. That's how this statement begins. And then it's incredibly personal. Jesus says, I will come back for you. Sometimes this has been this big, scary idea. And Jesus makes it so personal, so intimate. And he says, I will come back for you. Because I want you to be where I am. The goal of scripture, the goal of gospel has always been relationship. Not religion, but relationship. And Jesus, in this beautifully intimate way, says to his followers, then and now, I will come back for you. And there's a place and it's a good place and we're going to be together. This is good news. Second passage, Hebrews 9, verse 28. Single passage said this. So Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many, and he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. First time he appeared, he appeared as the Messiah, fulfilling the Old Testament, the story so far. God in person, Emmanuel, God is with people. And through his sacrifice of his life, his death and his resurrection, he paid the price to restore what we couldn't do. This passage in Hebrews reminds us that the cross is complete. He doesn't need to do it again. Jesus has fulfilled what was required. And he invites us to join him. So he will not be coming back again for another cross. The cross has said it finished it and concluded it sometimes i hear people and they talk about oh we just need to do this or if i take this step or do this then i will find everything that jesus has for me the cross has concluded what was needed jesus has made a way the second coming of jesus is to restore the creation and to bring an end to the evil there is a sense of joy and a sense of judgment and it's a good moment but it's not a reenaction of the cross 1 thessalonians next passage verse 5 says this another single passage may god himself the god of peace sanctify you through and through may your whole spirit soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of the lord jesus Sanctify speaks of making ready, being set apart. The sense of I'm coming for you and we're going to be together. Jesus is working in us. We were saved when we came to Jesus. And many of us have made this moment, this movement where we prayed and we recognized we'd missed the mark and we've fallen short and we need forgiveness. And in that moment, we were, we were saved And for many of us, it's a past experience. But there's a present experience. We're being saved. The New Testament talks about those who are being saved. It talks about working out your salvation. And then, as we look at the second coming, the return of Christ, or the moment when we die, whichever one comes first, in that moment, we will be saved. We were saved. We are being saved. We will be saved. And Jesus is bringing it all together. Jesus' return is good news, but why is it good news? 
And what does it mean for you or me? It is the restoration of creation. Jesus proclaimed the kingdom of God is coming and in part has come, but has not entirely come. And it's coming. And when Jesus steps in, there is this restoration of how things were meant to be. And for some, it's joy. And for others, it's judgment. Evil is judged. When I consider the idea of evil being judged, the news stories of this week prompt the ever obvious awareness of evil. I'm saddened by the frequency of shooting and gun violence. I'm saddened by the disproportionate statistics that black people suffer more than white people. And at times, I just want to look at the second coming or at Revelation and say, it's going to come good in the end. But we don't live there yet. We live now. So in the now, I want to recognize this as a white person and say, it's not right. It's not okay. The statistical average that one group enjoys some benefits and another group doesn't is not right. And the reason I say this is not because this is a buzz subject at the moment or this is the subject to speak on, but because this is the humanity of people. The Bible begins in Genesis with God making creation and all of creation is said to be good until people are made and then they're very good. The difference is because the image of God is on humanity. So the idea that one race suffers more than others or ethnic groups or colors of skin, it is denying the image of God on the preciousness of all of humanity. And it's, it's evil. The idea of joy and judgment and the restoration of creation is, is good news. We see this because we see the image of God on people. We see the way Jesus included everyone. His group of followers were largely the people that would not have made it, would not have been invited in, but all people were invited in, men and women, tax collectors, a whole variety. And then in the New Testament, we read, and I mentioned this as a side dish because it's important, we read this famously in this passage called Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Gentile, neither slave nor free, nor is there male or female, for you are all one in Christ. When a group of people suffer more than another group, it denies the image of God because we're one in Christ. Why men have some opportunities and women don't, it denies the heart of Christ, that we are one. And to deny the heart of Christ is more than just to miss an important subject. It's evil, uh, and it needs to be stated as so. My last comment on this in the subject of news. The huge majority of police officers who serve are good people. The huge majority are not racist, but they're sacrificing themselves by caring for people like you and me. So the extreme conclusions rarely help. I'm grateful 
for the diversity of people, for the fingerprints of God on all of humanity. And I'm grateful for those who serve to protect. Uh, We need them. We thank you and we honor them and their service. So why is the good news of Jesus' second coming good news? Because the restoration of creation. Because it is good news and it's because there is an end to evil. And my goodness, we need this. This is important. This is really important. Here's a question. If you knew that Jesus was coming back at a certain time, what would you change? What do you need to do differently? Is there something in the now? And normally I end with a question. I'm just telling you I'm kind of halfway. This is not the end. But if you knew that Jesus was coming on this day, is there something that you need to change? Is there something that you need to do? Let me tell you a story, and this is a true story. When I left college in my late teens, early 20s, I worked at a computer shop. And on the south coast of England, there is a motorway that runs along the coast, and there were various stores. I worked in a store in Southampton, and our nearest store was 20 miles east along the coast in the city of Portsmouth. We had an area manager who would visit the stores to check up on them and never tell you he was coming. He had this heavy stride, always wore a suit, and you could hear his shoes and then look up and see him as he came pacing into the shop. And there was always this, is everything in order? Uh, I remember working one morning in the Southampton store and hearing a phone call from the Portsmouth store. And they said, Andy, the area manager's just left us. He's coming to you. And we're like, thanks for the call. What time did he leave? He said, he left 10 minutes ago. I was working on my own because my manager, who was meant to be in there that day, was running late because he'd overslept. And I was like, oh, no, I don't want this. The manager doesn't want this. I called the manager. I said, Andy, the area manager's on his way. He left the Portsmouth store 10 minutes ago. He said, I'm on my way. The manager, who was also on his way, also lived in Portsmouth. I said, what time did you leave? He said, five minutes ago. Some of you can work out the maths. He left five minutes ago. The area manager left 10 minutes ago. One motorway, 20 miles straight from Portsmouth to Southampton. Mike, the manager, who was meant to be in the store, said, I would drive quickly down the overtaking lane like this, which he did. Aware that at some point, he's going to overtake the guy who's trying to get to the shop before him. And I thought, this is a crazy idea, but hey, I'm not here to judge. So um, that's what he did. He came in the back of the store, ran in at the same time that the area manager is pacing in at the front. All was good. And I'm standing there watching this moment. Uh, And it was a funny story. And the area manager had no idea. I tell this story in the context of Jesus coming again for this reason. If we knew, are we living right? Are we living well? Or are there things that we're doing and saying and Um, pretending that Jesus isn't going to notice. Is there some things we need to change? Matthew 24, verse 36 to 39. It said this. About the day or the hour, no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be in the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking, marrying and getting, get, uh, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. 
This is Jesus speaking. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. We just don't know. Matthew 24 and Matthew 25 are these big passages that expand the teaching where Jesus is talking about coming again. And it's going to be joy and it's going to be judgment. It's going to be an end of evil. But for some people, there's a risk that they could miss it. I said all along, we're not meant to be scared into responding to Jesus because it begins with fear not. The good news is good news. But there are some things that we can learn. Jesus taught in a way where I imagine that as you walked off or the next day, you had these penny drop moments. You go, oh, that makes sense. Now I see it. Now, some people didn't like that. Some people said, could you make it clearer? Could you make it straighter? Or could you teach like the religious leaders do? And Jesus wasn't going anywhere near that idea. He told these stories. Following this passage where he's teaching on the the return, the coming of Jesus, he tells a number of stories. They're subtle, but they're loaded. I want to tell you them and touch on them briefly. The first story is the story of some people who've got some lamps and they've got some oil. And the idea of if you've got an oil lamp when it gets dark is you need to keep enough oil to keep it burning. Jesus tells the story, and in the story, half of the group keep enough oil. They've got some spare oil, and their lamps are burning. The other half do not. And the moment comes that they've all been waiting for, and some of them are ready, and some of them are not. Jesus then follows that story with another story. And it's a story of there's somebody, and they've got some great resources. They've got some gold in bags, and one person gets given... One bag of gold. One person gets given two bags of gold. One person gets given five bags of gold. And in this story, the person who gave the gold goes away and then he returns and he says, hey, what did you do with what I gave you? How did you steward what you had? Person with five says, I stewarded it really well. You gave me five, I've got ten. Someone else said, I did pretty good. I had two and I've I've now got four. I stewarded it really well, invested it in, and, and here we go. And there's another person who's got one and he's, I didn't do anything with it. I didn't do anything with it at all. These stories appear in the context of Jesus speaking about him coming again. And then there's another story straight after where Jesus says, there's a farmer and he's got a field and he's got some sheep and some goats. And there comes a point where he recognizes that the sheep are over here and the goats are over here. This is how these stories come together. The first story is about the importance of don't miss it. If you're hearing the message of Jesus and you've not responded, don't miss it. If your life isn't in order, and if Jesus, like the area manager, was to visit your store unannounced, don't miss it. If there's things you need to change, change them today. Change them now. And then the second story, in some ways it's a story for us. What did you do with what you had? Of which the greatest asset, the greatest gift, the greatest resource we have is Jesus. What did we do with Jesus? Did we ignore Jesus? Did we ignore his mission? Or did we say, yes, I'm going to run with this and turn two into four and five into ten? What did you do with what you had? James 5, 7 to 9. Let's look at this passage. Says this, be patient then, brothers and sisters, until the Lord's coming. See how the farmer waits for the land to yield its valuable crop. Patiently waiting for the autumn and spring rains. You too be patient and stand firm because the Lord's coming is near. 
Don't grumble against one another, brothers and sisters, or you will be judged. The judge is standing at the door. Patience is a virtue, apparently. My dad used to tell me that when I was a kid. I wasn't convinced at the time, but in hindsight, he was right. We don't know when. Let's not spend too much time arguing over who's right and who's wrong about the question that Jesus said. None of you are going to be able to actually answer entirely. Let's not go there. Let's not grumble against each other. Let's not make some right or some wrong. This last year has been the easiest year to have arguments and conflicts and disagreements. That is not God's heart. We are meant to be one in Christ. So to recap, Jesus will return. All of these passages are clear. There will be a second return of Jesus. It will be personal. The Jesus who says, fear not, says, I will come for you and you will be with me. It will be unexpected. We don't know when. And there will be a sense of joy and judgment. And for some, it's joyful. And for others, the evil that has continued for too long is going to have to be called to account. Sheep, goats. So what do you do? What's your response? As you're sat there listening, either in the room or at home, what do you need to do? I'm going to answer this question with two passages. The first one, just a single passage, Matthew 25. We'll put this on the screen. Watch therefore, for you know neither the day nor the hour. Be ready. If there's things in your life that you need to change, change them now. Don't make the assumption that you'll change them later on and you've got endless amounts of time. It's like the young person who assumes that death is something that just happens to old people. What do you need to do now? What do you need to change? If you've never responded to Jesus, then simply come to him today and say, I'm sorry, I've messed up and I want to respond to the generous gift that is forgiveness and relationship with God. So what do you need to do? Be ready. If you need to get your house in order, get your house in order. Whatever that looks like. And I'm not going to ask you to tell us all of your sins and mistakes. But you know what you need to do. And then the second one. What do we need to do? Acts 1, verse 7 to 8. He said to them, it is not for you to know the times or the dates the Father has set by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the ends of the earth. The gold bags is the story and the mission of Jesus, the good news of Jesus, the good news that God has stepped into our fallen humanity and wants to make a way to restore relationship with people. That's the good news. That's the gold in the bags. That's the message that you've heard. And on a frequent basis, I will prod you, encourage you, motivate you, and and ask you to tell others about it. That's the gold in the bags. So what do you need to do? Well, what are you going to do with that gold? What are you going to do with that resource? This message isn't so some can be right and some can be wrong. This message is meant to move us to action, to tell others. I don't want Jesus to return and I've got the gold that I heard this message, but I didn't really do much with it. I want two to turn to four, five to turn to ten. I want 10,000 to turn to 20,000. I want to give everything I can to stewarding well the gospel and the good news that Jesus loves 
everybody and that everybody is included and invited into the relationship with God that Jesus makes possible. I don't want to sit on that bag of gold in a waiting room like I'm at the airport and there's a delay and I'm just waiting for Jesus to come so I can get the heck out of here. No, we've got to do something with this message. It's meant to change us and it's meant to spread from us. So may we be ready. May we be ready. May we be focused on Jesus and not distracted on other things. Some of them are important things. And the problem with important things is they argue that they should be a distraction. They shouldn't be a distraction. May we be focused on Jesus. May we celebrate his coming because it's good news. It's not bad news. It's good news. And may we be active in his work, not sitting reluctantly like the person who had the one bag of gold and just didn't do anything with it. May we be active in the precious story of Jesus that was always meant to turn two into four, five into ten, and so on, and so on, and so on. May we be producing a harvest in keeping. So it seems fitting to end with the very last sentence of the Bible. This mysterious but wonderful book called Revelation that says, Come, Lord Jesus. When we look at the world and its brokenness, we say, Come, Lord Jesus. When we look at ourselves and we recognize that we, we keep missing the mark, we say, Come, Lord Jesus, and forgive and heal. But we pray in this moment, come Lord Jesus. When we see the evil in the world, we don't just wait for him to return. As I recognized and sought to honor the police officers, there's some people who are looking at the evil in the world and God is calling them to act, to be a voice in politics, in society, in community. For those people, I pray, come Lord Jesus and bless them now. We don't just wait when we can get out of here or Jesus will come back. We pray, come Lord Jesus now. We wait with expectation for his coming and we pray, come Lord Jesus now. So let's pray. Why don't we stand? And I'm going to ask Tommy in a moment to pray for healing. We didn't plan this. And most of the moments where you see a move of God in Scripture or in our, life, our lived example, we didn't plan it. Tommy didn't plan it. Like four weeks of ill health and on this day would this happen. But there's a moment where God stepped in. So we're going to pray for those moments. We're going to pray, come Lord Jesus, in those moments. But I do want to pause for a moment before I pray, before we sing. And say, if you, need to, if you need to get your house in order, so to speak, if there's something that you say, hey, I'm not ready. If Jesus walked in the door today, there's some things I'm doing I need to change. I'm not going to pray. I'm going to give you a moment for you to pray to a loving father who isn't angry or wants to scare you, but wants to embrace you. So take this moment now. Take this minute.
Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. Lord, this simple prayer, this end sentence of Scripture that doesn't sound like the end, but sounds like an introduction to the next. Lord, we pray, come, Lord Jesus. Lord, with hope, we pray that as a church that we will be ready and rejoicing at the coming of Jesus. Lord, we pray that the resources of which the most precious gold that is the story of Jesus will not be buried or plateaued and that we would have done nothing with it, but that we will be found working and fruitful with what you've given us. And in a world that's so broken, where evil is so obvious, Lord, we pray, come Lord Jesus. For those seeking to make a change, for those called to be a voice, for those called to public office, for those serving in the police, Lord, we pray a blessing on them and we pray that they would know the presence of Jesus. Lord, we don't just pray thoughts and prayers. Lord, we pray change in the name of Jesus. Come, Lord Jesus. And ask Tommy to come and pray for healing. If there's anyone that needs healing, come to Jesus. It's as simple as that. Tommy, come and pray.